this coming February, we'll see the 10th Auckland Pride Festival. Uh, what was once a Pride Day in the 1970s uh, and became a Pride Festival over a few weeks in various locations around the country, uh, last year became Pride Month. Uh, and the image, the public image, seen through the media is a colourful Mardi Gras with crowds lining the streets, a carnival of people in flashy costumes with banners and flags and music and extravaganza of all things LGBT. Uh, we see pictures of happy people out on the streets celebrating who they are. The LGBT life is one big party to be admired and applauded. And there are some great phrases that have been uh, developed for public consumption. How many times have you heard about the rainbow community? Now, all the different colours, yet one rainbow. All the different expressions of sexuality and gender, yet one community. It's a great catch-all phrase to talk about all the groups of people marginalised in our society because of their sexuality and their gender. And isn't that word community attractive? Who doesn't want to be included and welcomed into a community? Forget the isolation and alienation of struggling with your sexual identity. There is a rainbow community waiting to welcome you. Uh, these are powerful and persuasive words and images. Uh, so powerful, the Prime Minister and other politicians walk in the parade. So powerful that businesses and corporations financially support and participate in the parade. Because there's something very attractive, very positive, very inviting about the offer of being part of a community. Isn't there something inside every person that wants to be involved in a community. We are, we are social beings that we've been made in a way that we, we naturally want to belong, to be known, to be accepted. But we're all very different from one another, so it's a compelling offer to be part of a diverse community and inclusive community. Uh, you might not realise it, but what people are really longing for God has provided. The Lord Jesus is building a community and let me tell you, it is a very diverse and yet highly inclusive community. Uh, it's a community of people who started out as a minority group, marginalised and despised. Uh, during parts of history, they, they, they've ascended and uh, been a major influence in the public forum but once again, they are becoming a small disenfranchised group being pushed to the edge of society, mocked and belittled, maligned and derided. The Christian church is a family, a body, a building, a bride. It is the community that God is establishing. Now, the world thinks that churches are pathetic, doomed to fade away, but the Lord Jesus will have none of that. Uh, yes, history and experience show that many churches have failed to live up to their potential. They've not been uh, the model communities that Christ intended them to be. But history and experience also shows that there have been many, many churches that are good and very good approximations of what the Lord Jesus intended. Are not perfect churches, but certainly authentic Christian communities. 
We're like the little boy in the fable of the emperor wearing invisible clothes. I need to point out to you that the LGBT movement is naked when it comes to the offer of community. Uh, Despite all the razzmatazz, it's not real. Uh, Despite all the rhetoric, it's not true. There is no community of LGBT people. Uh, What there is, is actually a a coalition of minority groups that have agreed to put aside their very significant differences in order to lobby the government and public opinion to win rights and recognition. It's important to be clear about these things because if we're going to navigate the the culture that we live in as Christians today, we need to recognise what is true and what's fancy marketing. Uh, Over the Sundays in November, this is the fourth one, the last one, many of you will be pleased with that, Uh, we've been thinking about a big issue. Uh, The big issue of what are the cultural ideas that are shaping our thought processes in 21st century New Zealand? Uh, We've come at that issue by looking at what seems a recent cultural phenomenon, sexuality and gender, particularly the transgender movement. It feels like the T in LGBT, transgenderism, has appeared almost out of nowhere, become a dominant public conversation over the last 10 years. Uh, It feels sudden and unexpected because the narrative through media and movies is, is not trying to explain or introduce the idea of people suffering from gender dysphoria. No, the narrative is that everyone must accept and embrace that inner psychology trumps biology. If I feel like I am a woman trapped in a man's body, then that must be expressed and recognized and my body must change to fit my mind. Now, as I've said each week, this is the stuff that is visible. It's above the waterline of our cultural iceberg. But the ideas and the concepts that that make such an approach to gender and sexuality plausible and acceptable to so many in our society, those ideas are below the waterline of the cultural iceberg. That's where the heavy lifting is done. That's where the weight is. Those are the ideas that are assumed. They're they're taken for granted. Those are the ideas that are unexamined and unconsidered. But those are the ideas that are not not only shaping some people in our society. These are the ideas that are moulding and shaping us. At the heart of those ideas is the nature of who I am, who you are. What is our personal identity? Where do we fit in the world? Uh, In each of the four weeks, I've I've listed seven assumed, unexamined principles that are not only at work in our society, not only in the minds of people out there, but they are in our psyche, in our minds, pressing in on how we see the world. Uh, Let me give them to you again. Again, I'm drawing on the wisdom of those that I've read uh, and studied and in the help in the hope of helping you. Here are the seven principles that kind of capture the essence of how we form identity in our culture today. That the best way to find yourself is to look inward. The highest goal in life is happiness. All moral judgments are merely expressions of feeling or preference. Forms of external authority, they are to be rejected. Uh, The world will improve dramatically as the scope of individual freedom grows. Everyone's quest for self-expression should be celebrated. 
and certain aspects of person's identity, such as their gender, their ethnicity, or their sexuality, are of paramount importance. Now, those ideas are not just at work in the LGBT people out there. Those are ideas about identity that are shaping us in here. We aren't immune from being formed and moulded by our culture. Now, it's not as though people work consciously through that list. Uh, actually, just having lived in our culture or being shaped by it, we just intuitively see the world that way. It just never occurs to us that there is another way. So again, let me illustrate how these principles play out. Tony feels that he is attracted to men, and so he concludes he is gay. That's who he is. That's his identity. And so the way for him to be happy is to follow his heart and pursue gay relationships. Oh, yes, his parents raised him to think that a gay lifestyle was wrong. It doesn't feel wrong for Tony, so it must be right. Besides, his parents are from that ignorant and uninformed generation. As Tony moves more and more in the gay scene, he, he meets more and more people who have embraced who they really are. Tony's optimistic that one day the gay agenda will win over society. That's a fictional account of someone unconsciously forming their identity according to our culture's deep ideas. Compare that one with this one. Terry feels that he is a Christian. He's grown up in a Christian home and he really likes the whole church community vibe. Makes him happy to go to church and meet up with his friends. Uh, Terry isn't that fussed with all the Bible stuff. I mean, he likes some of the stories, but let's not get too particular about it all. In fact, some of the church leaders questioned if Terry really was a Christian. So Terry stopped going to church. I mean, he's not worried. What do those church leaders know? Terry knows that in his heart, he really is a Christian. So he'll do Christianity his own way. He'll do it much better than those outdated leaders. And Terry's connected himself with others like himself online. Those, those who are doing Christianity and, and spirituality in a new and fresh way. If only people could break free from tradition and institutions. Do you see that it is the same set of identity-forming principles powerfully at work in both of those scenarios? The outcomes might look different, but the unconscious thinking is the same. And those cultural assumptions are at work in us, shaping not only how we see the world, but also how we see the church and what the church is for. It should make me happy. That's our cultural assumption. Is that what you think church is for? What I want to do this morning is look at how our individual personal identities fit in with corporate, public communities. Because no one is a a self-sufficient island. Whoever we are, we all want to be affirmed and accepted. We want to be connected with other people. We want to feel we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And on the face of it, the LGBT community, the rainbow community, sounds warm and welcoming. The words that we often hear are diverse and inclusive. But on the inside, it's just simply not true. To start with, L and G are very different to each other. They are not simply the female and male equivalents of same-sex relationships. 
as though same-sex relationships is the big common ground and some happen to be female and some happen to be male. And so they're essentially the same. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The L's don't want to be lumped in with the G's because that's just another example of women losing their identity in a male-dominated world. And the experience of life and sexuality is very different for the L's and the G's. Women have a shared life experience that is unique to them. Periods and babies and being second-class citizens in so many workplaces and disenfranchised through children or divorce. Life is often harder for women. And fundamentally, the L's are about relationships, emotional, sexual, strong relationships. Men have a much easier path in an unequal world. And typically the G's are about multiple, fast, loose sexual conquests. You see, the L's and the G's are not natural allies. But they became that as they saw themselves as each minority groups working together against a common opposition, the dominance of heterosexuals. The ultimate political goal is not that society would accommodate them, but rather there would be a radical transformation of culture. The old categories must go. So the lesbian-gay alliance is the result of sharing the same enemy and suffering similar marginalisation. But something's given away in that alliance, particularly by women. The lived experience of women has to be put aside. The front-facing issue is the oppression of people in same-sex relationships. Gender gets minimised and sidelined. And so that opens the door for adding in the T to the LGB because the transgender issue is about people and their gender identity, not so much their sexuality. And the critical problem, they don't care about men and women. See, lesbians and male homosexuals operate on a gender binary. There are biological things such as men and women, and their sexual identity must be understood in those categories. But the T defines such a biologically shaped approach in terms of psychology and a very free-floating notion of gender. So how do you add the T to the L, G and the B? Well, it happens because this is a political coalition forged on the basis of a common enemy, heterosexual normality, assumed by our society in general. So hidden away behind the media presentation of a happy rainbow community, there are some critical and substantial differences and tensions. And those tensions play out in the real world. So the Pride Parade, 2018, there were women protesting, holding a sign up that read... Stop giving kids sex hormones, protect lesbian youth. So you have L's protesting T's at an LGBT pride march. The lesbian protesters are scornfully labelled anti-trans and asked to leave. See, the L and the G and the B and the T and whatever other letters we might want to add aren't really a happy community who live in harmony together. Of course, at a personal level, people will make friends and find supporters, but that's an expression of being a human being 
more than as an expression of a particular sex or gender. At the level of public conversation, there are also some uncomfortable questions about the rainbow community that simply just don't get discussed. For example, people living an LGBT lifestyle have increased physical and mental health risks, including suicidal behaviours. It's particularly the risk of suicide that's frequently used in public arguments to justify why society must embrace and infirm LGBT people. The tragic suicide rate amongst LGBT people is blamed on our culture's lack of acceptance, lack of affirmation. Now, there may well be a component of that in the problem. It's hard to quantify. But surely the question must be asked, doesn't the LGBT lifestyle itself contribute to physical and mental health issues, including the risk of suicide? No one's asking that question, and therefore no one could possibly seem to conceive of what is an impossible response. Should we counsel young people away from an LGBT lifestyle for health reasons? That wouldn't fly. Now, as I've said every week, there's a difference between issues of sexuality and gender being worked out in the public forum as part of our society's political activity and the issues of sexual identity and gender identity being lived out by people we meet and know, by friends or family members. Most people don't see themselves as political activists trying to subvert society. Most people are just struggling with their own identity, their own sexuality, their own place in the world. Everyone is walking around with a broken and distorted view of themselves. That's what sin coming into the world has done to everyone. In our rebellion against God, we we keep choosing folly over wisdom. We keep opting for defiance over obedience. Anyone who's a Christian has seen that play out in their own life. And so as Christians, we, we can see with compassion other fallen human beings around us. Those have been made in the image of God and yet who carry the wounds of their own sin. Surely then we know how to respond with grace and the good news about Jesus at a personal level. That's what we needed, and of course that's what others need. And our offer is more than something isolated and individual. See, through the gospel we are inviting people into a real and living community. See, to become a Christian is to join God's family, which brings us to our Bible reading in 1 Corinthians 12. See, the Apostle Paul is uh, addressing a problem in the church at Corinth. But part of addressing that problem and making his argument, he goes back to kind of first principles, reminds them and us of some foundational truths about the nature of church and what it means to belong and who can belong to the Christian community. And the first thing to observe about church is how diverse and how inclusive it is. And to make his point, he uses the imagery of a human body. All sorts of different body parts, but they all come together to make one body. And the way into the community, the Christian community, the way that anyone and everyone becomes a part of the body is by baptism by the one spirit. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, Slave or free, everyone has the same fundamental spiritual experience so that whatever place we might have in the body, 
We are all equal. We all got there the same way. The good news about Jesus has seen young and old men and women, rich and poor, people from every ethnic background, every geographic location, every period of time. Anyone on the planet can become a Christian by putting their trust in Jesus. And everyone that has done so has exactly the same standing in the body of Christ. That is the ultimate picture of diversity and inclusion. And in the body of Christ, in the family of God, there are to be no insignificant or marginalized people. Everyone is important because there is a substantial interdependence. We need each other. My life as a Christian is not to be defined by my needs and my happiness. Rather, my, my life as a Christian, my concerns are about your needs and your joy in Christ. My identity is not to be defined by looking inward to please myself. My identity is found by looking upward to Christ and I find him directing my attention towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. Leaders cannot say to someone in the body, we don't need you. But likewise, members can't say to leaders, we don't need you. The strong can't get by without the weak. The vulnerable shouldn't try to do without the capable. The young need the old and vice versa. Men need women. Women need men. Whatever our differences, we need those differences and we need one another. So verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. See, we aren't just a collection of individuals. The Lord Jesus makes us into a whole. We fit together. And it's on the basis of this identity, a personal identity in Christ and a corporate identity in the church that, that we build and strengthen and develop our community as Christians. See, as a church, as the family of God, as the body of Christ, as a fellowship of believers, we have a unique and precious experience to enjoy. More than that, something to offer to a desperately broken world. Church is a community that we start to build through hospitality. Not just inviting your friends, but inviting old and young men and women, the socially weak and fragile on the edge of church life, into our homes. And we even welcome our neighbours who may be confused or defiant with regard to their sexuality or their gender. Other church is a community that sets before the world the value of both men and women. Part of helping those who are perplexed about gender is a presentation of godly men, godly women, expressing their God-given roles with respect, dignity, living out what it means to be male and female made in the image of God, pointing out a, a proper integration between biology and psychology. Church is a community that holds out to the world the value of marriage and the value of singleness. 
See, the best antidote to confusion about sexuality is not a lecture or an argument. It's a demonstration of a godly marriage where husband and wife, man and woman, show what God intended. Oh, not perfectly, but certainly profoundly. The best antidote to confusion about sexuality is not a set of do's and don'ts. It's a demonstration of, a sing- of the single life being lived in a godly way. Where in the body of Christ we can have intimate relationships that aren't sexual relationships with older people, younger people, with people of the same sex, people of the opposite sex. Church is a community where we open the Bible together and let God reshape and reorganize our default assumptions about life and identity, about gender and sexuality. We are a community where God's word tells us who we are. The church is a community where we are committed to being identified corporately, not merely pronouncing our own identity. See, when we, uh, as a church, baptize someone, it's not so much a personal act, it is that, but it's also a corporate act. The church recognizes Christian faith and affirms that in an individual by baptizing them. An individual may want to belong to the church, but Christ has entrusted responsibility of membership to the church. In fact, an individual can't even choose to remain identified as a Christian apart from regular approval of a congregation. That's what it means for the uh, the church to bear the responsibility of identifying who people are as Christians. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. It's the church that says they're not living like a Christian or they are living like a Christian. Now that approach to church really strikes at the very heart of the modern view of the independent self. I decide about my spirituality. No, I'm part of a community and they make decisions for me as well. Church is a community where the weak and the broken, the vulnerable and the weary have a place. We are the community that knows about sin, how we sin against others and how we ourselves are sinned against. We are the community that knows about forgiveness through the Lord Jesus. We are the community that knows about repentance and change, about fresh starts and new beginnings. We are the community of hope because we know that one day the Lord Jesus will give us resurrection bodies and welcome us into an age of no more sin, no more sorrow, no more struggle. The church is a community that Jesus is building and establishing now. And the church of Jesus Christ will go forward into eternity, purified and perfected, because the church is part of God's plan forever. And that's a community worth belonging to. And it really exists. Why would we want to spend time as a church over four Sundays thinking about our culture's ideas about identity and sexuality and gender? It's not because we think our beliefs are being threatened or because we are somehow offended by other people's lives. We want to think and talk about these issues because we generally care about people. No matter how compelling we might think our case is for biblical truth, people rarely change their minds based on intellectual arguments alone. They're even less likely to change if all they hear is moral condemnation for us. People must be drawn by a better vision that attracts them by offering a more appealing, more life-affirming worldview. 
As a church, we must present biblical morality in a way that reveals the beauty of the biblical view of being a human being, male and female, and our sexuality. Unfortunately, a crushing sense of loneliness for those who struggle with their sexuality and their gender can push people towards the LGBT world in search of acceptance and a desire for community. Tragically, they will not find what they really need and want. As a church, we want to be the best expression of the community of Jesus that we can be, what he designed and established, the church, the bride that he gave his life for. And part of becoming a better church is recognizing in ourselves the ideas and the thinking of the world around us, recognizing how we've been pressed into the world's mold. And when we begin to see those patterns, those concepts, those notions shaping us, oh, that makes us turn to Christ to have our minds transformed and renewed by the gospel and also to make us gracious ambassadors to the world around us. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. Let's pray together. Father, we want to give you thanks that the Lord Jesus is formed and building his church, the people of God, the people he died for, being saved, united together, transformed, made beautiful. Do that work amongst us that we might then extend to a weary and watching world truth and life and love and hope. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.